on episode number 41 of the Path to Follow podcast with Mac Ford. Mac, thanks so much for coming to campus today. Well, thanks for inviting me. Great to be back. It's been a while. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, so what's it, what's it like for you now? What are you up to now that you're coaching girls across at NDP? Uh, how, how's that going so far? So it's uh, it's my uh, my passion. So the girls' game is is a great game. This is my sixth season coaching at Notre Dame Prep. Uh, so it's it's really my uh, my uh, my passion. I, uh, during the day, I'm I'm a full time financial advisor, but uh, the best two hours of my day in the spring come when I get to go out and and coach these young ladies um lacrosse at Notre Dame Prep. How, how'd you get into the women's game? How'd you get into the girls lacrosse? So uh as you might find down the road, Jake, when you um you know when you when you get married, you might have some daughters. And uh being a lacrosse player growing up, uh we had two daughters uh back to back and then we had three boys, but the daughters started, you know, getting a stick in their hands and playing and so I uh, was looking for a place for them to play, and it was Lutherville Timonium Rec Council, and watched the first year because I knew nothing about women's lacrosse. It was a foreign sport to me. Um, really didn't pay attention in when I was growing up. But then the second year, we um, I got involved, started to become a coach, and was coaching with a, actually a, another woman who was a referee. So she helped him with the rules and got into it. And from there, I coached the girls in their club program. And for whatever reason, was invited by a gal named Sue Heather to uh, to jump aboard the uh, U.S. Lacrosse um, women's program and coach Team USA with her. Um, it was sort of a, um, a leap of faith from her that I could add any value whatsoever to the women's game, but that's really where I got into it um, with both feet and really enjoyed um, their game. You know, the women's game is sort of the type of game that I used to play growing up Mm -hmm. um, where the middies are playing both defense and offense. There's not as much specialty involved in the women's game. So it's really, uh, it's sort of what I gravitated towards and enjoyed. What are the, what are the major differences that you find between the women's and the men's games today? I think I think the up and down like midfielders mm-hmm. stay offense and defense a little bit more, and there's more substitution and specialization in the men's game, which kind of slows it down a bit yeah. today. Yeah. Um, but what what value do you find in in helping? the women or the girls see the game from a, from a male point of view, like you're seeing a lot of male coaches in the women's game. And I think that they do provide a different vantage point or, or can um, add some, some different dimensions to the sport. Well, you're right. Uh, The biggest difference is the, uh, the flow of the game. The women's game is, is really what uh, the men's game used to be. Um, You know, when your, your father and I, played the game, it was uh, middies were playing defense and offense. Now, not so much. Um, we get a lot of girls in and out, uh, but but I'll run three midfield lines like uh, the men used to do back in the day, and um, they're up and down playing, you know, offense and defense. The real value that, that I see myself bringing to the women's game is really uh, individual skills, uh, the art of dodging. Um, it's a challenge. 
in the women's game, they don't grow up. The girls don't grow up where you and I might have gone out and played flag football or touch football in the neighborhood where we'd sort of learn how to dodge, you know, uh, whether we're going out for a pass or running running the ball, we're trying to dodge our, you know, our, our opponent. Um, the girls really aren't, aren't doing that. So when I saw the girls game, whether it's at the middle school level or the high school level, or even at the college level, you know, the girls game's a speed game. So they weren't really into, you know, big time change of direction moves or setting up a, an opponent for a dodge. And so just bringing sort of the art of dodging, how to set up a defender for a inside role or how to change directions three or four times even if you're slower than your defender, how to, how to use leverage, get inside their stick, this and that. The boys learn because they have to learn because they're being beaten on all the time. Um, they have to learn how to change directions and keep their head up. And uh, those are the types of things that we find that, I'm a, that we're able to bring to the women's game and really educate these young ladies on you know, a different way to look at the game. Mm-hmm. And how long did it take you to really pick up women's lacrosse? Because I have, I have a couple sisters, and I remember watching my sister in high school play, and then she played in college. And it's still the rules are, are hard to pick up. Mm-hmm. And you said you had some training with, with a referee. Um, but, but how long did it really take you to grasp the sport of women's lacrosse and, and kind of um, gain a sense of confidence as a coach? I think uh, for me, it probably took a couple of years. You know, still, you the the biggest challenge is uh, when when guys see the game is uh, is what they call shooting space. So you see, girl streaming down the field all by herself, and she takes a shot, goes in, but the referee blows the whistle simultaneously, and it's because another young lady on the other team got relatively close into the vision of of that shooter's you know, in between the shooter and the goal. And so it's called shooting space. The goal is disallowed, and they they uh, come up to the eight-meter line, and then it's a free position. They call it a free position. And they blow the whistle, and then it's a, you know, a race to the goal, or it's an outside shot from there. You know, it's, it's sort of a free shot. So that's most men, when they see that, they're like, what's what's going on here? I don't understand this. Or they're it's like tough. it's a it's almost like a foul shot. It's like how do you not, like how do you not shot. score that right? That's what that's what probably men are saying. Yeah, like, I, it's, you know, it's harder though. It's, than, uh, it's than much it looks. easier said than done. No question. Yeah. Uh, more and more today, especially in the college game, you're seeing girls take outside shots from there. You know, just wind up, and they're with the new sticks and the new um, stringing. Now girls can use mesh in their sticks over the last two years. So you're seeing a lot. Uh, better accuracy on those outside shots. Um, so that's one of the one of the things that is still a stickler in college. There's now continuation. So if that the whistle blows simultaneously to the the young lady shooting and scoring, they're going to allow the goal. In high school, that's not the case. They're not going to allow that goal. You have to have it set up for an eight meter free position shot. Um, but the other aspects of the game, it used to be that when a Simple things when you just call a timeout, all the girls would have to just drop their sticks wherever they were. That's no more. It's no more. So now you have free movement, and even if you get whistled, if I'm clearing the ball and I get fouled, get whistled, I can continue on. I don't have to stop. I can stop and have the the, the fouler go behind me 
five meters, but I can continue on. So if you watch the women's game now, it's free movement. So even on a whistle, nobody has to stop. You know, it's not like freeze tag anymore. Girls are moving just like the guys game. And if there's a foul, it's not a flagrant foul. They'll, you can, you can, as a ball carrier, you can decide when you want to go. So literally some girls don't even stop. Uh, you'll hear a whistle, but no, no longer will they stop. It's and interesting. You have that, you have that choice like mid flow of, yep. of stopping or continuing playing through the whistle. Hmm. So if you see it now, it's much more of a, a free flowing. Uh, the only really um, differences now are when you get, they have an eight meter arc uh, around the goal. Um, well, it's not around the goal, but it's in front of the goal. And so that's called the critical scoring area. So any fouls within that area will result in an eight meter shot. Mm -hmm. um, as a defender, you can't, just stay in that eight, eight meter area. It's also like basketball. It's a three second call. Mm -hmm. So you have to be within a stick. Actually in high school, it's an arm length and college, you get away with the stick length from your opponent. But if there's a three second call in that area, then that results in an eight meter shot as well. Hmm. But those are the big differences, but the actual stick work you know, we were able to bring a lot of the what the guys do with their stick work to to the women's game as well. When I when I coach girls, I work on stick work, working with their wrists a lot more than just pushing the ball uh, with their arms. Um, the sticks that the girls now get to use have really been um, revolutionized. So the stringing now, two years ago, they they allowed mesh pockets in girl sticks, which is terrific. So there's a lot of opportunities to grow the women's game, not only uh, rules-wise, uh, but also just equipment-wise. You know, it's really revolutionized the game. Um, Gary Gate mm -hmm. has a, a number of sticks. He and his brother Paul have, have designed that have really, um, a lot of girls enjoy using them. Something that I've noticed from watching women's is they understand timing of, of cutting, I think even a little bit better than men do right. today. That's just almost a, a lost art in the men's game because it's so specialized today. And you ha you might have a crease attackman or a couple attackmen, right. a couple middies who know how to time their cuts well, but the women are always moving, always picking off ball, always timing their cuts, um, I, I think, pretty well. I think that's something that the men can learn from from the women. Well, it's also the, uh, the free flowing of the, the women's game where it's, you're not waiting for a, a line change, mm -hmm. right? So the middies are constantly moving from defense to offense. And so they're recognizing, um, fast break opportunities, secondary break opportunities. And so they do a very, very good job of cutting off ball, moving without the ball. Mm -hmm. So those are the things that the, certainly men can, can, take a step back and watch because um, you rarely see in a, in a six on six in the men's game, you know, midi cutting right down for a goal. Uh, mm -hmm. You're just not seeing that in a fast break. You are, but not on really on a six on six, you're seeing setups. You're seeing a lot of outside shots, right? Right. So shooters have gotten better with the outside shots, but you're really not seeing a lot of off ball moving without the ball. Mm -hmm. um, but but the better teams 
you know, whether they do it on them, themselves, the better teams, you do have that nice flow in yeah. the men's game. I mean, that's the difference. Everybody's good, but what teams work off ball the best, I think, you know, have the, have the advantage. Off ball chemistry for sure. Uh, Mac, I'd love to know a little bit more about your time at Gilman and maybe the first time that you came to Gilman or decided to come to Gilman for for school. What, what was that like your first time coming here? So it was interesting. I applied to come to Gilman in the seventh grade and um, Reddy Finney, who was the headmaster at that time, uh, called my dad after I took the, the, the exams and said, you know, we'd really love to have Mac as a student here, but he's not quite ready and um you know but i have a, a specialist here that can uh, really get him up and ready so um so my seventh grade year uh, i tutored and and then at the end of the year took the exam again and, and passed it but for you know so i was grateful i didn't i didn't want to do that i had no interest in getting extra tutoring at that time but i was you know hindsight it was it was fantastic um that Mr. Finney called my dad and, and had him come in and, and uh, they came up with a game plan to, to help get me in. So came in in the eighth grade uh, at the old middle school. Um, it's been redesigned since, since I left. But um, at that time, I remember coming in and I had just started playing lacrosse, maybe in the, in the, in the sixth grade. But I broke my leg in the sixth grade, so I didn't really play. Then I played in the seventh grade rec program. But I came in and saw these racks and racks of these lacrosse sticks. So all these middle schoolers brought in a lacrosse stick, and instead of carrying them to class, they'd have they put them in these racks. And I was like, man, this is it. Everybody must be incredible at this game of lacrosse here. I'm, I'm excited, but I'm <laughs> I'm I'm at the bottom of the barrel. But I uh, got to know uh, people very, very uh, quickly just because uh, for me, um, we would have break and we'd go out on the basketball court in front of the middle school and I'd play basketball. I uh, got to know a lot of um, a lot of people really quickly because uh, I could play basketball back then. Um, wasn't very tall, but a point know, guard, right? But a point, but a point guard back then, my, my, uh, my glory days in eighth grade. So... Um, so I made made friends just on the uh, on the athletic field, um, and some of my best friends today are the, the the guys I met in eighth grade here at Gilman. And you were you were a baseball player up until I played baseball all the way up until sixth grade, seventh grade. Even play I played both. Played both. Played both. Who who you know. gave you lacrosse stick? Who told you that you might be interested in this so, new sport? So it was my dad. He he played lacrosse and played went to Washington and Lee played lacrosse with W and L. And he said, you know, I really loved baseball growing up, putting on the big league uniform, going out to the rec, rec park and playing. So that was my – I really enjoyed that, really enjoyed football and basketball. And he said, you know, I'm going to let you play baseball, but, it, you know, you're going to – I want you to play lacrosse, try it out, see what you like, and I have a feeling that you're going to really like it better than baseball. And I was like, oh, no way, Dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll give it a whirl, but I'm, uh, that's probably not going to be the case. So I um, enjoyed it, uh, but really started to really enjoy it, you know, when I came here and started to put a lot of time in, seeing that I'd watch the varsity play go out and uh, seeing some of the great players. Uh, My dad actually took me in 1976. We came here 
before I even went to Gilman, I was I was in elementary school. We came and watched Gilman had a great team in '76 play, and um, I was like, wow, the, it's a it's a great game. So so we would throw the ball in the backyard, but I didn't really play organized lacrosse until around the seventh grade. What was your high school lacrosse experience like? When did that kick off? Freshman year, sophomore year, and and when did you start really contributing to to the, the team for high school lacrosse? So uh, middle school, I had middle school lacrosse here. So yeah, I could I could tell that I was I was not near the top. I was in the middle of the pack uh, of of talent at at that particular time. So I started putting more and more work into my game. Um, carried the stick everywhere I went. And then uh, freshman year, um, I was lucky enough to make the JV. And that was, a, that was a great thing for me at that particular time. And didn't really play a whole lot. It was like, sort of like the, uh, the, uh, the fourth man, but they didn't really play the fourth man a whole lot. So, But I would get in and to wrap up some games. And we had a really good team. We won the, the, uh, the JV championship at that time. And the varsity also had a really good team. Uh, at that that time as well, I think they won the um, the championship as a varsity. So my um, good friend Del Dressel, who was on your podcast a while back, you know he made varsity as a freshman. And at that time, there were really only a handful of Gilman guys who ever made varsity as a freshman, mm-hmm. let alone play and start. Um, another guy was a guy who I watched um, before was a guy named Jim Wilkerson. It was a, it was a Gilman. Sports legend. So Dell made it. I was on JV. And then the next year, um, really wanted to make the varsity. Uh, Coach Dave Allen came to me and, you know, said, you know, you're really the last last one cut. And I want you to go and be a leader on JV and play JV, come up and play for me the next year. So I was really disappointed in that. But when played JV, had a great JV career uh, that year. Um had a ball, won the championship again. I learned what leadership was all about. And then, then the next year came up and, and Dave Allen uh, just, you know, retired. And so we had a brand new coach, a guy named Mickey Fenzel came in. And, and so I made JV, I mean, made varsity and started and had a terrific year. And, and we had a very good year that year. And then the next year we um, – Tied with uh, St. Paul's for the uh, for the championship. There was no championship game, unfortunately. But and then was lucky enough to go to North Carolina after that. So so when I talk to my girls at Notre Dame Prep, we have over a hundred girls come out for three teams, and we don't cut. So there's there's a spot for every girl on our team. But in today's game, everybody wants to make varsity as a freshman. Their parents want them to make varsity as a freshman, and at least as a sophomore, they got to make varsity, and, right. and they're crushed if they don't. But I tell the girls right right away that I did not make varsity until my junior year, and being cut from varsity in my sophomore year was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Because if I had played varsity my sophomore year, I would have literally not played. And there's a difference between practice and playing a game, and you learn. A lot in practice, but you learn the most when you play in a game, when there's more pressure involved. And um, so by me playing in that game as a JV prepared me to come up and catapult and sort of leap a couple of players that were ahead of me. They were already on varsity 
when I got the varsity the next year playing as a junior. So, so I have no problem cutting a young lady, sophomore, freshman, to play JV if I think they're going to be really good. And they might play for us at that year, but they might be better on JV. I'll, I'll cut them to JV. Get some experience playing some games. Get the yes. leadership experience, which you talked about. And you can you can make some jumps the next year on varsity and actually get out there for exactly. sure. Exactly. We we had a young lady who sort of was a goalie, and she was um, she was not selected as a freshman. She she played fresh off, and the next year she jumped from fresh off to to the varsity. Mm. She jumped, and there were girls in her class that were that played JV, and she jumped them, and so she's our starting goalie this year at Notre Dame Prep. What, As a what, senior. what kind of things do you remember doing your sophomore, your freshman and sophomore year on JV to kind of get get the edge? And, and you know, what would you do on your own to uh, improve your game? And maybe who are some of the players that you watched growing up? So um, some of the players growing up. So my idol growing up was uh, was Eamon McEnany, who played uh, for Cornell. And he was one of the all-time great, great attackers. And he was my size, so I enjoyed watching him. Uh, another Cornell player, Mike French, was a great player. And these guys in the 70s. Um, there was a guy who would go down to Mount Washington and watch MLC and Mount Washington play, a guy uh, named Bob Greeby, who was a great attacker. And I watched how he moved with, it, with him without the ball. And he was also my size. So I would constantly look for players that were sort of my size, about 5'9", five, 5'10", five, what they did with the ball and without the ball. And my dad was the one that really said, Mac, you know, when you go to these games, I want you to pick out the best player on the field and watch what he does with the ball and does without the ball because what you do without the ball is just as important. So I'd watch them, and then I would go out, and I strung lights up in my backyard, and I'd come home from basketball practice or football practice, you know, off season and just go out and, and practice for, you know, hours at times, you know, cause I was, I just loved it. I felt like practice was like a game to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it was just a joy to be outside and, um, it could be freezing out. It didn't matter to me. I, I had my gloves on my stick. I was working on dodging. I was working on shooting that type of thing. So it's really, and I tell the girls that I coach, it's really what you do when no one's watching determines the type of player you're going to be. Yeah. It's not coming out here now when everybody's here. You're not, you're going to get better as a teammate, but you know, it's what you're doing off season yeah. and you know, what your motivation is to you know, determine what type of player you're going to be. You're not, this gonna, season. you're not going to get enough reps just at one, at one NDP practice. Right. You have to go home and throw against the wall and go out with a bucket of balls on the weekend and, Shoot, and I, and I try to tell some of the, the younger guys that I do lessons with, you know, because because parents parents want their kids to be really good, and they and they push them, yeah. which is which is great, but it really is that obsession. Like you ha- you have to be out there when it's snowing and actually kind of enjoy it. Like yeah. you have to have a sick ex- obsession to really make those leaps if you want to be really really good. Um, how did the UNC um, commitment, how did that transpire? What was that like? And were you always looking at UNC? Did you want to go to UNC or did you have some other um, options in mind? So uh, 
back in the day, uh, there was a summer league called Heroes. And uh, it was down in Anne Arundel County, there was a Heroes Summer League and also in, in Baltimore County, Howard County combined. So um, I lived, grew up in a place called Sherwood Forest in the summertime. Our parents had a, had a cottage down there. So I played in the Anne Arundel County Heroes League and we would play within that league, different teams, but we would also play Baltimore's uh, Heroes League. And so the coaches would come to that summer league and evaluate talent. There was no club lacrosse at that time. It was just a summer league. So Willie Scroggs of North Carolina, I didn't know he was there, but came to a couple of my games, and I guess I played well, and so I was on his radar. Um, so I thought I was going to go to maybe Washington and Lee. Jack Emmer was the coach there. They were Division One at that time. My father went there. Cornell was another one I was really interested in mainly because of Mike French and Amy McEnany and their great teams back there. Richie Moran was the coach there. But then my, um, really my uh, senior year, I got a call from Coach Willie Scroggs. And uh, he said, we're interested in you. We'd like you to you know, come play at North Carolina. So needless to say, I went down there and loved it. And at that time, they were the up and coming team. They were the team that uh, a lot of all Metro players from the Baltimore area and a lot of great players from Long Island were gravitating towards and, and coming down. And so um, it was sort of a no brainer. Um, we had friends that lived in uh, Henderson, North Carolina that we visited growing up. So I knew uh, a great family there. It was very close to Chapel Hill. So it was a great opportunity. I never thought that he would be interested in me and went down there and, and my senior year here was their first year where they exploded onto the scene, went undefeated and beat Johns Hopkins in the uh, national championship up at Princeton in a terrific game. So my freshman year, they had everybody back and um, we were lucky enough to go undefeated again and win, win a championship, which was, which was, was a thrill. What was that like freshman year, undefeated champions? So it was it was great as a freshman. Everybody back in my mind, it was we were not going to lose. I mean, you, you had that. It was the law of expectations. We expected to win every game, and I just came in with that that expectation in that uh, for that year, and we won every game, and uh, and I was lucky to to be able to play. Um, I was really the, the fourth attacker and that fourth attacker got to play. So mm -hmm. I was able to, to get some time, but it was just a, the, the feeling of coming into a, a championship team with the majority of people coming back that you knew was terrific, was just a different mindset. Mm -hmm. And so we try to use that same mindset, you know, coaching. I, I try to give these girls, look, it's, it's really, you want to anticipate um, good things to happen each and every game mm -hmm. and um, expect them. And I think if you expect it to happen and it's not a cockiness, but it's, you're expecting to play well, you're expecting to, to, uh, to do what you can do to the best of your ability. I think you're going to find uh, good things happen constantly. What was it like playing for Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame coach Willie Scroggs for, for four years? Uh, so Coach Groggs, very, very interesting. Uh, when he was coaching, um, he, uh, he, it, we didn't really get into many serious conversations. 
he was, you know, standoff. He really didn't go over to coach and, and talk to him a whole lot. He didn't have a whole lot to say. When he ran practices, though, I mean, you could tell he was in charge in practices, during games, what have you. But but coach didn't really say a whole lot. Um, but I got to know coach really well after I graduated. It was like he opened up. And we're very, very close friends now. Um, coach had a beard when he was coaching because he wanted to look older. Um, <laughs> and so he had a beard. And but when he shaved that beard off, finally, it was like a whole new coach. Mm. Uh, so he was a terrific coach. Um, enjoyed it, but uh, our relationship is even better now, um, which is great than than it was uh, playing for him because you know there's more uh, communication. And I was a senior uh, senior captain, and so we'd have a lot of communication that that period of time, uh, but. Now it's uh, it's great, and if I need tickets to a North Carolina basketball game, he's the first one I call. So <laughs> Love he's it. my go-to. Um, thinking back to your experience at Gilman playing lacrosse, is there a moment that that is really memorable to you, or a game that really sticks out into your mind uh, playing lacrosse here? Well, it was such great memories. I mean, I think as a competitor, you always think of the one that got away. And um, so my senior year, uh, I think of two games whenever you, when you when you mentioned that one was we played uh, boys Latin early in the season and um, just crushed them. We we played really well. I think we won nineteen to six. So um, last game of the season, pouring down rain, we're thinking, well, let's just get this over with, you know, because a lot of the guys had a prom to go to later on that night and. We didn't want to delay it till the next day, right? So come out here at Gilman and play it. And, and so mentally, we just weren't weren't as sharp as we needed to be. Ended up losing in overtime, 10-9. Mm-hmm. Great game in the mud. So we so that was a memorable game. Still don't hear the end of it from all my friends from Boys Latin on that game. And then another game that year, we played St. Paul's. We beat St. Paul's. The, you know, at their place and over here on our family day, packed crowd. St. Paul's went up big on us. They were, uh, they had a terrific team and they were up by at least seven goals. And we came back and had an opportunity to tie the game at 15, uh, last second shot and just, just missed, went off the pipe. And uh, they beat us 15 14 in a great game. But, uh, you know, those two are memorable games because we lost, but uh, they were, you know, great games because, you know, um, just the inner workings of the mentality of our, our team on the boys' Latin and then on the coming back on the St. Paul's side of things. Yeah. So we still were able to win a championship. We had to share the championship because there was no championship game, unfortunately. But, but we had an incredible team that year. We had Del Dressel, Joey Seibold, which are Hall of Fame lacrosse players. Um, you know, so we we had a great, great team throughout. How about some of your mentors at Gilman, or some of the teachers and coaches who really played a hand in in your development as a student, as a player, as a person? Well, the first one that comes to mind is my eighth grade uh, math teacher, algebra teacher, a guy named Chip Tompkins who was the assistant lacrosse coach to Dave Allen for many, many years. And um, 
Chip was um, was a great uh, person. Um, I came in from a public school, came into Gilman, and I think my first, so in the middle school, he was the algebra teacher, and my first, I think it was trimester, so my first trimester, they would only give H for honors, P and uh, for pass, and F for fail. And then they would give one, one, two, or three for effort. One best effort, two mediocre, three below, right? So he, I got an F1 in algebra my, my first trimester. And he said that, told my comments was, Mac is really working hard. It's just not clicking right now. <laughs> so, um, so I worked hard with him. He gave me some extra things to do. And then the next trimester came back with uh, H1. And um, so, so that was that was great. And uh, just he helped me over, you know, some some issues I was having in algebra. And then on the lacrosse field, he was one of the middle school coaches, and I'm playing catch with him, um, eighth grade year. And uh, he says, "Mac, I really want you to use your wrists more. You know, use your wrists. You're, you're throwing them more with your arms. I really want to get your wrists nice and supple and and use it with them." So. It just clicked. I started throwing a lot more accurate, you know, a lot more juice on the ball when I'm used playing catch back and forth. And that really, that that one tidbit, you know, I'm teaching that today to my girls. Yeah, you were talking about that. how to use their wrists more. Yeah. And so going all the way back to eighth grade, I was at the right place at the right time for this this great teacher of, you know, both academic and, and uh, athletic. He got with me, saw something I wasn't doing and, and, corrected it and helped me go forward. So he, so, you know, right away he had a great impact. I mean, all the teachers were, were terrific here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I can remember taking a, um, a math class with uh, Mr. George Chanley, who was a legendary lacrosse coach here and what have you. And, but he was a stickler in his class. I mean, you had to do, you had to do it. And, it, and if you didn't do it right, you were back on Saturday you know, with him doing it, doing it better. And, uh, so he was, so that, that was a, a great person to learn from too, you know, the discipline and getting it right. And if you didn't do your homework correctly, you're, you're coming back and doing it right in front of him. Love it. But we had some great, great teachers. Um, I guess there's probably a couple still around, but I know that many are, are no longer here. Yeah. A lot of, the, a lot of the teachers at Gilman hang around. They, they don't go anywhere. Yeah. They stay here. So that's one of the things I like about Gilman so much is when I came in for my my interview or when I was meeting people for the first time, it's like a lot of the teachers and coaches have just stayed here. And there's something special about that yeah. because they there's no reason to leave, which is it's a good sign. That's great. I mean, you're the former uh, athletic director, Tim Holly. Yep. I remember watching him as an eighth grader. He was the star of the football team, player of the year. And Gilman had a great football team that, that year, and I remember him going on the pen and and doing some great things, and then coming back and and coming back to Gilman, and then becoming the athletic director. And now I think he's over in advancement, but he's been here and yep, yep. had him on great, the podcast too. Yeah, he's he's the man. Uh, what was it like playing football here at at Gilman too? You're three three sport athlete: basketball, lacrosse, and football. Yeah, football is great. Football is the the greatest game day sport yeah. right it's a, it's a lot of 
summer, hot summer, it, sweaty summers for the game. Worst practice. Yep. Worst practicing sport around, especially <laughs> in the. But it's the greatest game day sport because every all your all your uh, teammates, everybody is so pumped up, jacked up, enthusiastic. You know, and it was, it was great. You win a game. It's fantastic. Everybody's celebrating. Um, nothing like football. Mm-hmm. And we had, you know, legendary coach uh, Alex Sotir, which really um, created a, just a terrific powerhouse uh, in the MSA. It was the MSA at that time. Now it's the MIA, but the MSA. We, we played a lot of, you know, great public schools like Poly. At that time, we always had a matchup with Polly, and those were great games. And then you had the Calvert Halls, the Loyola's, and Mount St. Joe's, and what have you. But um, so that was just a great time. Uh, I played varsity my junior and, and senior year. Basketball, I played for uh, Coach Sherman Bristow. Uh, my junior year was my last time in basketball, uh, and then lacrosse, you know, was, was great. So, what was so tear like as a coach? He was a, a very hard disciplinarian, and um, which was which most most football coaches are. Yep. Um, but he, you know, you you did it his way, um, and he got results. And if you did it his way, you'd get results. Mm-hmm. So he was great. Learned a lot from uh, Coach Sotir. Actually, played with his son lacrosse, um, and he went to uh, Virginia a number of years ahead of me, and then I went. Played with him at Mount Washington. So, but Mr. Sotir was was a terrific coach. Mm-hmm. So, um, when you were at University of North Carolina, what? How did you really become from your freshman year, really through your senior year, and really through your lacrosse career? How did you become such a great attackman? What was it? What were those ingredients to success for you to become one of the best attackmen of all time? Well, I, I, it's, um, I mean, it's pretty, uh, pretty easy uh, if you break it down to it. It's, it's the, you know, I was, I was practicing um, when no one else was. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would go, to, we had a turf field and there was a, a law, the law building was right next to turf field, but the lights from the law building actually shone on, you know, on the turf field. So I would get my freshman year, I'll never forget, I would get the, uh, one of the best, defenders at Carolina he was a senior and I got to be good friends with him pretty quick and I asked him to meet me out would he meet me out you know before he would go out at night would he meet me out and you know do some extra one-on-ones and this was just the light of the the, the law office or the law school building shining on the on the turf and he said yes so um he would go out and we'd do one-on-ones and I'd you know and practices after practice, I'd grab somebody and we'd do one-on-ones. And I was just constantly just working on that. And because I'd watched, I'd gone up to, to when I was still at, at uh, Gilman, I'd go up and practice at Hopkins, Homewood Field. And I remember watching Jeff Cook down at the other end of the, the field. And he was just practicing his moves. And he would be diving, practice coming around the goal and diving and shooting, you know. And I was just watching and watching, it. and and he was he was uh, first team All American. So I was like, mm, well, I guess that's how he got to be that way. So I just got consumed by practice, mm-hmm. and practice, and then I'd watch other great attackers, um, what they did, you know, with the ball, without the ball, um, 
and I think just practice paid off, and that's all I could really say. It's it's there, and I tell these girls, there's you know when I coach them, there's no magic bullet. It's the girls who are playing are the ones that are practicing when you don't when no one's watching them. They're out in the backyard doing something. They're consumed by it, and I think when it becomes a game to you, when practice becomes a game that you enjoy practicing so much um, that it's no it's no longer work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are the ones that are really excel and get to be, you know, great players in whatever sport. For sure. And I, and I love the advice of watching a player because I try to tell guys that too. find a player who has a skill set that you don't or maybe plays a position that you, you play but has developed their skill set and, and try to emulate that on the field. It's just it's, it sounds simple, yeah. but it's such valuable advice watch someone um so i'd love to get to your book recommendation today if that's sure that's right would you would you bring sure i brought the brought the copy i about i have about uh 10 or 12 of these co- these uh, books it's called uh, how to win friends and influence people by dale, dale carnegie uh, my father gave it to me back in the day he said you really want to read this book and um it is the greatest people skills book of all time um, it's a very easy read, but it has unbelievable, uh, points to help any young man, young woman, older man, older woman deal with people in a, in a much, much better way. Cause we're always selling ourselves to not only our friends for the very first time, our spouses, our girlfriends. I mean, everybody's a salesman. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. Oh no, I don't know how to sell. You're selling your, yourself every every day. Um, so this book really gives a person great uh, insight into, and, and Dale Carney goes over different stories to bring his points to home, but it's great insight on, on uh, basic people skills, mm-hmm. the art of listening, um, the art of the most important thing in a person's life, um, you know, is, is their name and, and you want to get really good at, at knowing names of people you meet mm-hmm. because that's the sweetest sound in their, you know, in their, in their, uh, in their lives is hearing their name called. Um, so I have this bookmark and one of my, my great um, sections, it's called in a nutshell, six, six ways to make people like you. And he goes over uh, six principles within this chapter. And then he gives a nutshell of it. And so I have a bookmark all the time here. And to give you an idea, some of the one is uh, principle one, become generally interested in other people when you're talking to them. Don't talk about yourself. Uh, The other principle is smile, constantly smile when you're talking to others. Uh, Remember that a person's name is the, to that person is the sweetest, the most important sound in any language, Hmm. which is, which is key. And, and I got to keep telling myself that I'm, a, you know, I, I'm great at remembering names. And unfortunately, uh, I, you know, I fumble a lot. But uh, it's a, it's a great principle. Four, be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Um, five, talk in terms of other people's interests. Mm-hmm. And six, make the other pe- person feel important and do it sincerely. So great, great nuggets uh, throughout the book. It's it's uh, it's a classic, but it's still available 
any time. And, and so I have all, I had all my kids read it. I give it to them today. I say, you know, here, you want to re reread this right. because it's important. Um, for whatever you do. For I mean, sales is teaching. I feel like I'm yep. in sales. You're because in sales. You're, you're just, it's just personal relationships. And it it's, is. It's getting people to buy in. Got to buy into the great Gatsby yep. in my class. Like I have to be able to sell that to you and, and make you want to read more of it. Right. Not really. I mean, the book does that on its own, but I have to make the class interesting right. for you. So I think that's super important, that book. And um, when did you first pick it up? I uh, picked it up in college. College. Yep. And, and you were uh, speech communications? Speech communications. So my dad uh, was a very successful financial advisor at Lake Mason. And... So in the back of my mind, I always thought that I would get into sales, even though I was a sort of a quieter person, didn't see myself as the uh, the door-to-door -door salesman and uh, didn't know if I could could go knock on doors to, to sell product or service at that time. But I thought that if I was a speech communication major, I would have an opportunity to, to learn how to talk in front of people, how to get up and... and um, get my point of view across. And so it worked for me. And um, I came out of school, got into sales. My first job was selling uh, uh, copiers for a company called SCMI um, Incorporated, and they sold Rico copiers and wasn't very successful in that. And then got into my, uh, my first love, which was commercial real estate had an opportunity to get involved there and got involved there and did fairly well. And then got into the investment business about 12 years later hmm. or so. So it's been, uh, it's been great. Um, and you know, speech communications is a great major. It for is. Anybody who doesn't know exactly what they want to do. Right. Um, if you could teach a senior elective or a course at Gilman, do you, do you have any ideas? Would you teach a speech communications? I guess that's kind of like an English course, but is there any course that you would teach that you feel like high school guys should, should yep. know how to do? I think all high school should be a, a course in uh, finance on uh, personal finance, how to invest, how to save, what, what interest means on a credit card, how to use a credit card. Um, how to uh, keep track of expenses, how to budget, all things that really s schools don't teach in high school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, they don't really teach in, you know, it's not a mandatory course in college. Right. And so you have so many people coming out that really don't know how to handle money when they come out of school. They come out of school in debt uh, because they're borrowing, to, you know, to, um, to pay for school, but they don't understand uh, when they start working you know, how to save, you know, how to budget, um, what, it, what it takes to invest, you know, how, you know, how you, how you can become very, very wealthy over a long period of time investing a little at a time. Mm -hmm. So that would be a great course that, um, you know, any school that I'd like to, you know, teach at any school if I had the opportunity. Uh, it's just something that's, that I see by being in this business you know, that most young people have no no concept of. For sure. Um, awesome. Well, well, Mac, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Is there anything we didn't cover that you think we can touch on here at the end, or do you think we did, a, did, did all right today? Uh, I think we did a great, great job today. 
Great job. I enjoyed being on here. Um, I just found out about your podcast just a couple of weeks back. So we need to uh, get get the word out to the, uh, the alumni. Yeah. Uh, here's another question that I've been asking some of the guests is, is there anyone from your, your time at Gilman or anyone involved in the Gilman community that you think I should try to get on here and, and talk to a little bit? Uh, well, there's, there's plenty of, of great, great alumni to, uh, to come back and talk. Um, I would say, you know, athletically, if we just looked athletically, um, have you had Jim Wilkerson on? I haven't. I, so I need he to get would be, Jim. He was probably one of the all-time great athletes to ever come through Gilman. His, Mal- his son's playing on the team. He's a freshman on, oh, the, has he? on the team. Okay. So you got to get, got to get, uh, Wilkie here. Um, Another great guy. He's been very successful. Uh, this guy named uh, in the seventies. This guy named Dave Hubeck. He pl- was a great attacker and then played at uh, Princeton. Uh, but he is a um, very fascinating guy. Um, he would be. He'd be interesting. Um, if you could ever get ch- this guy Chip Tompkins, back, yeah. former teacher. Yeah. He lives down in Virginia. Uh, he was a great. Coach, I thought he was going to be the my coach. I mean, when Dave Allen left, I thought Chip Tompkins was going to be the coach, but for whatever reason, they went a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but he would have been a terrific coach. Um, Mike Sotier, uh, son of Alex Sotier, great great defender for Virginia, but would give you some great insight into uh, Gilman and that that area of football, and and he's uh, a very successful contractor. Awesome. Yep. Thank you. I'll try to get those guys on and best of luck to you with this season with NDP. Hope you guys have a good one. It sounds like things are looking pretty good, shaping up well in the second game, right? Yeah. Second game tomorrow. Good luck. We're excited to be out every day. We're just thrilled. Yeah. It's the best. It's the best. Doesn't get any better. Especially with this weather out there. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And the facilities that you all have here now are unbelievable. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's, It's great. So do you ever use the the field, the, the turf field for lacrosse, or is it just the grass field for lacrosse? We've been using Brown, the turf football field, until, um, until Chan Lee gets a little bit greener okay. a couple more weeks here. Right. So, so you use both? Use both. Okay. Usually practice on Chan Lee in April. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, amazing fields. We're excited about it. Good time to be a coach here, coach. That's great. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate it. Absolutely.